The American dream is not dead. Listen to Neil and Jeff share their leadership experiences through a new kind of leadership podcast. This is The American Hustle. I'm leveled up. And this is my world Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever, however you are joining us. Welcome to The American Hustle, where we believe the American dream is not dead dead. This is a podcast about leadership, entrepreneurship, social, personal development, and leading through your heart. I am your host, Neil Simpson, joined as usual with the esteemed and decorated, the Italian producer, the Italian stallion. He'd recently changed his name on Instagram, <laughs> folks, so I had to make sure. I, I, was, I was wondering how long it would take somebody to catch I just, that. Oh, we caught it. We caught it a while ago, and we just talked about it behind your back. Oh, and that so sounds about right. I wanted to make sure that it came out you know, on air for the first time. Uh, the Italian Stallion producer, Jeff. The Italian Stallion was taken, so I had to go oh, with something is different. That what it was? <laughs> is that what it was? Oh, that's fantastic. So I am your producer, Jeff Shermani, and uh, you know, take a moment, like, subscribe, give us a five-star rating for a show. Coming up in this episode, we are going to be diving deep into interviewing, uh, both fr- from the employer side and the employee or potential employee side, to give yeah. you some feedback on both sides. Typically, when you're looking up interview stuff, you're only finding it from the interviewee side of things. I want to I make sure that we're helping those that are doing the interview as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, um, because not everybody, you know, as we look at this podcast, you know, especially early on in the series, you know, not everybody is in a position to hire somebody else. Correct. So makes sense to me. And then, of course, don't miss out on the quote of the week after we talk about some of the tips and tricks of the interview process. Yep. And for me, that uh, that what I had left off on last week, you know, I'd made, uh, I had made kind of two statements last week saying, one, the best piece of advice I ever had, and I'd be sharing that this week. Uh, and two, I had obviously led with my, you know, my favorite question, yeah. right? And saying, hey, we would talk a little more about that this week. And then I think this uh, this is going to segue us. Uh, this conversation will segue us appropriately towards the future into, uh, you know, takes one to know one or Correct. this idea of I see good people, you know, something along those lines. We'll have that theme or that title coming out in the near future. But basically... Uh, you know, how you surround yourself, uh, both as an employee and in the culture of the business that you're involved in, and then also or or as an employer. Correct. And who and how you're building your business. Build, building your own culture. Yep. Yep. For sure. So as I had teased last week, uh, my first and favorite question that I would lead with when I was interviewing someone else. And for me, I thought it was a, a great way, twofold. One, as an icebreaker, right? So you could have kind of a, a pretty serious interview process prepared. Yeah. Um, much of the interviewing that I did based on how I was, you know, tracked through life was your traditional, uh, I'm going to, you know, suit two-piece with shirt and tie suit interviews. I even, um, after, after having a decorated college career where I was actually full, full-time employed as a youth minister and as a residence life, um, both as an advisor and then as a director role in my senior year, 
so I had these these professional ish or professional enough positions. I then graduated and went into the big world and the big world I went to apply at uh, the Home Depot and despite my decorated resume, they felt uh, immediately that I was appropriately qualified. Uh, you know, we're talking the month after I graduated, uh, after all of these kind of positions kind of faded away. Yeah. Uh, youth ministry was still there, but the, the other stuff through the college, you know, they felt I was immediately and appropriately suited um, to be a cart pusher. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> despite the fact that I had this decorated resume. Yep. You were, you were a highly qualified cart pusher. I was a highly qualified cart pusher. <laughs> you know what? I actually I, – I look on that experience so, so highly uh, and as a phenomenally humbling experience. And at a, a later date, we may even end up talking about that. Oh, yeah. And there's a number of things that I had to do to humble myself to go, okay, this is a whole different – this is a whole different game. Right. Right? And this is this is just traditionally corporate America. I went from this very idealistic bubble to, hey, get out there and push some carts, right? right? So in those interview process, even though in those interview process, I still wore a two-piece suit and tie as just interviewing with the Home Depot. To be a cart pusher. <laughs> to be a cart pusher, yeah. right? So... <laughs> So ultimately, uh, you have these these positions, and I like to then I'm as I've you know kind of continued on in my professional uh, endeavors. I then have utilized some of the some of the you know they pay a lot to embed some science lessons into their interview processes. Yeah, they have a lot of uh, good and bad culture that exists in their interview processes, right? right? And so I tried to learn from some of that as I move forward to improve upon it. Anyways, I always ask, what if you were a candy bar, what candy bar would you be? That's a great question. Um, and I actually used to ask, what animal would you be? Okay. So similar- As the first question? As your lead question? Not as or- a lead question. All right. Um, but I, I think that's a great icebreaker question. Um, and I honestly don't know how I would answer that. I, oh, come on, Jeffrey. Uh, I thought you so, were going to bring the heat today. So, And I, I know you, you you teased that question last week, and I thought on it, and I went, oh, that's that's a good question. I don't know how I'd answer it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really, I think it's hard to say because I have my favorite candy bars that I enjoy eating. Right. But then I start thinking psychologically, like, Absolutely. what does each one mean? And, yes. And I'm going too in-depth on this. I know I am. And <laughs> So I love that when, you know, I would ask that question, A, it immediately, like, is this, is this dude serious? Right? I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm in here ready to talk about my decorated resume or my qualifications right. and – this dude's asking me about if I was a candy bar. Yep. And of of course, myself as a leader, I recognize that I am just a little quirky. And so that level of a little bit of unpredictable, you know, what the heck is he talking about? That's, you know, I recognize that that's part of the culture that I myself exist in. And so being able to say, this is, yes, we're going to be intense and thorough and, and you know, with 
these highly regarded characteristics in mind, yes, we're going to exist and we're going to operate in that manner. But we're also going to be a little unpredictable, a little quirky, a little fun, yep. a little, you know, laden with shenanigans, that kind of gobbledygook, right? Yeah. And so this is a great way for you to kind of understand, holy cow, is this somebody I want to work for as well? In that that very initial brief moment, right? right? So then you ask that that person – and so it's a great dichotomy of environment because, of course, everybody goes in thinking it's going to be intense. And there's this breakup, right? This, like, whoa, wow, okay, flip the table 180. And you could, A, you, you typically see people get irritated at the comment, which then knows that we might not be a good fit for each other. That was pretty rare, but yeah. it could happen. The other thing would be uh, kind of exactly what you did. You can kind of see their thought process like spin up real quick because for the most part, uh, people like to snack or candy or cookies or something to right. that effect. I thought was interesting is that you would take you would get people you would say, well, does it have to be a candy bar? Can I can it be Skittles? Can it be, you know, can it be a bag of chips? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they they you can see them the start the box, thinking. start breaking the box. Yep. Right. Or, which is totally acceptable in my book, right? But, of course, if you're a hiring manager, breaking the box might not be acceptable. Right. Uh, I would encourage that you You should always look for that. That you should. But there are some corporations, like one that I've already mentioned, Mm -hmm. who don't really like box breakers. They they like sitting and working within their prescribed means and measures, right? But, you know, I I like box breakers. So, you know, so they start to ask questions back. And seek clarification, and I like that because then, hey, let's let's keep these these rules liquid, and we'll keep going with it. Well, yeah, sure, go ahead. It can be a you know, it can be pieces of candy, yeah, you know, um, and and they then can continue to develop their thought process so that it you know appropriately represents them, which is cool. Or you get people say, okay, well, that's tough. I don't eat a lot of candy. Um, I would like it to be a bag of broccoli. Okay, well, why is that? And those types of, of interactions are pivotal yeah. in warming up the room and warming up the individual who's interviewing. So that's going to bring me to one of my major points is that I always start with basic and generic questions. Mm-hmm. Nothing that's actually really determining or defining of a person because I want to keep it conversational. Doing an icebreaker like that's a great way to do it. Yes. And you let the interviewee warm up. Yes. You let them become more comfortable before you ask the serious questions. Right. Or you hope that they warm up. I well, certainly interviewed some people that I was like, are you are you awake in there? You know what I mean? I'm thinking, oh, like, yeah. why are you interviewing for this job? You seem like as an enthusiastic as a, as a funeral at we, the moment. We could do an entire episode on the types of <laughs> interviewees I've had <laughs> and how poor or how amazing they were. Right. Um, we may have to prepare that in the future as a, as a fun teaser or something, oh, yeah. you know? The uh, some of the things that I always look for that are important to me is I ask who are who are your three most influential people in your life? Yes. And when I ask that question, I want to know: Are you a family oriented person? Mm-hmm. Are they people close to your life? Now, I don't care if they're blood family or if they're just really really close friends of family. You know that right. kind of thing. But if you tell me, uh, well, Superman, uh, Iron Man, and so and so are my my three most influential. These are made up characters there. You, you don't have somebody there stabilizing you in your life. Mm. So that, that's a, a key factor for me. Sure. Uh, something that I look for, you want to look for those genuine relationships. You want to look for, um, 
they, if they have relationship skills. Mm-hmm. If everything's made made up and they are just those are who their role models are, they may or may not have yeah. good relationship skills. I uh, I personally encountered some interesting ones along that line where they don't have the family support system. Correct. Um, but they would produce some of their friendships. Yep. Or an influential teacher. Correct. And so the idea that they what are what are they as an individual looking for can be gleaned from that scenario, from that level of questioning. Yes. Right. And then I think what's really really valuable, both, you know, as we look at it from both perspective perspectives as an interviewer and an interviewee, is we want to keep the negativity out of the conversation. Right. And so one, as an interviewer, a person who is, you know, trying to, you know, get this position, you don't want to speak negatively and say, well, uh, my dad's a deadbeat. And so, I, you know, my high school history teacher uh, ended up being this this father figure for me and, and blah, blah, blah. Correct. The context of your father being a deadbeat is is really not relevant to the interview. Correct. All too often as humans, we live in that feeling in that moment and we feel like we need to justify or, or, or validate why we're saying this or feeling this way. The reality is we can just jump right to the meat and potatoes and say, this person was influential and this is why. Exactly. And that's and, exactly what I went for. And and so critical, right? Because, of course, as as the interviewer, you're going, why is this person bad-mouthing them? Right? We should never, ever, ever jump in and bad-mouth anybody else in an interview. Correct. Now, I also – I recognize that I have had people do that and it is almost because they are living with trauma or living in that moment of trauma and that shouldn't define the interview. So I purposely prompt that. Okay. Because one of my favorite questions when I get into the employment section, because I always touch a little base, I, I don't really care much about your work history. I can read that on the resume. Sure. But I'll, I'll touch base. I'll say, hey, uh, what was your least favorite job and why? Right. And then uh, another one would be if they're talking about a job that they left, I'll ask, why did you leave that job? If you could go back there with a magic wand and change one thing, what would it be? Sure. And it kind of prompts that negative response. But then I'm looking at how are they wording it? How are they engaging in that and accepting right. that? Is it something that to them is absolutely that this was the worst place because they did this, they did that, they did that, they're blaming everybody? Or is it, well, it just wasn't a good fit for me because I prefer to do things this way. The company's orientation was this way. That's, to me, a little more accepting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you got to have that positive spin sure, as to and, your outlook. And there's something to be said about the fact that you could say, hey, I wasn't a good fit for them, and they weren't ultimately a good fit for me. Correct. And I recognize that now, and this is why. That ability to, in hindsight, look and be critical of the situation yep. shows shows that a person maybe is, is coachable or they have an expanded thought process. Yep. Again, if it's very superficial things like, well, I didn't like waking up at 8 a.m. so I could be to work at 8.30 Correct. or whatever, it's like, are we really talking about this? But of course, you know, we, there are some people who are not prepared for interviews who do say those kinds of things. Well, and the other thing, too, is you should be able to be self-critical of yourself in the interview, but not to the point that self-deprecating you're, and you're, looking that for you're pity. desperate. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. So and then, you know, as we as I progress through interviews, I want to know more about their five year goal. I always like to hear a five year goal. Um, if somebody lays out an elaborate five-year plan. I'm like, wow, this person's really thought this out. Somebody goes, 
well, you know, I kind of would like to be here in five years. Okay, they've at least given it some thought. Like, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. <laughs> ah, yes, that's a whole different ball game. And I'm like, okay, well, this is uh, this is what I call a flyby employee. They're not going to last. And of course, you know, if you're listening to us, and and this is, you know, your your it's your startup flower shop. You know, some of this might not be the exact relevant to what you're doing because right now you're toiling away and you're cutting roses yourself and, you know, you're trying to dethorn things and you're trying to figure out how to get that delivery driver because you think with just the delivery driver, you're going to you're going to benefit a little bit. I still think that understanding these concepts helps create culture. Correct. Right. And even if it's just you and that was one of the things that when I started from the absolute bottom, I knew I wanted a culture and that actually transferred to my employee, uh, not my employee, excuse me, to our customers. Correct. At that time, that was, you know, I didn't have employees, but the culture that I wanted to eventually create helped shape our market. Right. Right. And so if, if, if you're listening in and right now it's just you toiling away on the ways and mean committee of your, your small church, understand that even these little decisions uh, might not be exactly applicable to the interview right now because you don't have tons of money to bring on this next full-time or part-time position, but you're creating culture elsewhere. And that's really valuable, right? Well, and you know, that's a lot of companies will actually focus on that. One that I worked for was Furniture Row Companies, and they actually believed in culture so much that they have the, the leadership coin is what they call it, and all their managers have to carry it. Um, I actually brought mine in from when I was there. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty jazzed up that um, they actually break down leadership. It's uh, belief, loyal, enthusiasm, energy, determination, excitement, recruit, spirit, hard work, integrity and passion. So folks who are listening in, uh, Jeff is, is holding basically kind of looks or feels like a 50 cent piece uh, coin you know, about that size. And it is a pocket coin. So, you know, people who have, you know, kind of you know, lived life with carrying a pocket reminder, something that lives in their pocket, you reach, you know, dig your hand down deep and it helps you remember something, right? And right. so whether it's religious or culture based or a memory of a family member or something like that, when, you know, when, when the going gets tough, you can, you shove your hand down in your pocket and you can kind of go, okay, this is why I'm doing this. Recenter this is, yourself. This is the purpose here, right? Yep. So that's what they do. And then on the back, it says one heart, one culture, one future, because they want everybody to share that vision, share that culture. And how would people receive this coin? So uh, when you were there, as soon as you became a manager, you were issued a standard one of these coins. Um, And then for a long time, they had what was called the coin challenge. You could actually go up to any other manager in the company and literally throw your coin down uh, and it was taken from the military. Um, so this is something the military actively does, yes. is what you're saying? Okay. Or did. I don't know that they still do. Okay. Um, and you, the other manager would either have to throw their coin down as well or would have to do push-ups. Huh. Um, kind of gotten away from that. You know, some people were not taking well to that over time. Yeah, But right. the culture, the idea of it's still there. Yeah, the challenge of, of cancel culture at this point. Correct. which Which the good and the bad. But I think, you know, the idea that you would have these – Furniture managers doing push-ups in the middle of a sale absolutely could, could be really challenging. Oh, we we would love to do that. I mean, there was all the time. You you if you were visiting another store and you knew the manager was with a customer, you just walk up and toss your coin on the table that they're presenting. Yes, and just stand there, and the customers are like, "What is going on?" And the other manager, if they had their coin, just 
kind of flip would, it out and then continue the sale process and maybe maybe do a little quick yes with the customer other times they just played off but when they didn't have their coin was the best because they just stop and start doing push-ups and the the customers are like what is going on <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh I that's interesting it's interesting to kind of be faced with that and go hey you know is that is that valuable or detrimental to the business and to the sale right so Oddly enough, it, it was very valuable, and most customers were very receiving and entertained by the. I, I I almost catch the same vibe. Like, I you know the idea that sometimes people feel a lot of pressure in the sale, much like you might feel a lot of pressure in the interview. Yep. And so when you break it up with this kind of like highly erratic action, right? That's yeah. You know what I mean? On offhand, I'm like. Ah, that doesn't really feel right. But then I love the the concept of disrupting status quo. Yeah. So and that's and exactly that's, what it is. Yeah. Um. And and you know, going back into the interview process, the disrupting of status quo. Some of my favorite things to do uh, in the interview is because it was very important to me to make sure that I wasn't hiring uh, drug addicts, current drug addicts. Obviously, there people have opportunity to turn around their lives, but. I would always go into those types of questions by first asking for them to finish a sentence for me. Most people basically are. And then I leave it. I just Right, that's the question. If you, don't, if you don't, yeah, the, the question is fill in the blank. Most people basically are. And then you just leave it. Right. Let them answer. I would say on average 70 to 80% of all people are going to tell you good. Hmm. Okay. Can you elaborate on that for me? Sure. What do you mean good? And I make them define that. If, if the benefit of this question is it's very self-reflecting and you don't know it. It's a psychological question. Mm-hmm. But if you say most people are not trustworthy, and I've had that answer many times, guess what? You're probably not trustworthy yourself. <laughs> right. If you say most people are honorable or hardworking, things like that, I know you're more likely that that's your outlook on life often reflects who sure. you are. Sure, and person. I think that that's really what's really critical is to say that you know that ultimately you as an individual can be one way, and this is always the challenge I have. So that person who says you know most people are not trustworthy, they might be a really upstanding individual. Correct. But and- as we segue a little bit forward into the you know takes one to know one, the idea that if you're surrounded by untrustworthy people. That could be a liability to us as a company as well in this Correct. interview process. So if, you, if, you, if your response is most people are untrustworthy, while that could be a reflection of you mm-hmm. and probably 60% of the time it is. Or the culture that's around you. Or the culture that's around you. And that's been one of my biggest challenges uh, professionally in our endeavor is that for whatever you know specific thing we deal with, there's a lot of people who I think might be a skilled mechanic or a uh, you know, a good warehouse worker or something to that effect. And yet their, their immediate culture, their immediate surroundings, I question through these processes, right? Yep. And I go, I don't think I can hire you because I am as, as concerned about who you associate with. And that's the secret to a good interview right. is knowing that not one question defines it. Right. That might be their answer. Like, well, most people are trustworthy. But as you do the rest of the interview, you might find out, that they've actually had a lot of untrustworthy things happen in their life, but overall they're actually a good person and sure. they've redefined their culture sure. around themselves. Sure. So again, that's the process of doing a good interview and finding 
things that don't come straight forward in answers. So with that, I think this is a, a, a great opportunity to, to kind of expand upon your cumulative statement there, right? To say not one question defines an individual. So that's to say that the interview does, it's an ebb and a flow, right? Yep. And uh, it is a process. It's, you know, if it's a half an hour, if it's 20 minutes, if it's half an hour, if it's an hour long, the idea is to talk through the conversation. Because ultimately, if you're interviewing with a panel of one or three or five or 10, there's going to be little things that do or don't stand out to somebody. Correct. Somebody, you know, might be offended that you're asking um, about, you know, the pay range. Well, you know, money's important by today's standards. Correct. But somebody might be like, well, you need to take pride in the job. Yeah, that's cool, but you also need to feed your family and pay your bills, I, right? I actually respect it more when a, a potential candidate asks me for the pricing and tries to negotiate that. For the salary in the interview? In the interview. Interesting. I think it's important that they, they know what they're getting into. But I also think it's important that they know what the company is before they start the interview. Uh, without doubt. Well, before we get too off, off track on that, this was my one number one piece of advice for an individual who is being interviewed, who's going through the process. And this was a lesson that I learned very, very, very early on in my, my interviewee processes is to have an answer. Yes. And so saying I don't know and shutting off the conversation is not sufficient to the interview. Now, you might not know. Correct. And you shouldn't lie the answer. And you shouldn't lie. And ultimately what you can do is you can say, wow, that is a – so obviously the idea is to reiterate to make sure that you've clarified. Yep. Because maybe you don't know in that moment, you're going, man, I don't know what they're asking for. Sometimes just reclarifying it actually helps you understand it better. Correct. But then ultimately, to provide a level of an answer, no matter what is asked of you. Correct. Whereas if you just say, I don't know what I would do. And then you just allow it to be uncomfortably silent because in my experience, most interviewers will just sit there. So and give you time to hang yourself, you know, and that's exactly the the idea is as the interviewer, you ask a question, you shut up, you wait for them to respond because it's going to force an awkward silence at times, but it will force a response one way or the other. Yes. And those are the longer the awkward silence, in my opinion, the better the answer ends up being. Yes. Because if you jump back in as the interviewer and try to explain it. Right. And contextualize and put more box on it. Yeah. It, you're going to get a more narrowed answer. Yes. You just sit there and shut up and wait. And it's very hard to do, especially if you like to talk. But it's the best way to get a good, solid answer. Additionally, uh, when you're talking about answering that question, one of my favorite responses that I get is, that's a great question. I don't have the answer currently, but here's where I'm going to go find it. Mm -hmm. You know what? That's acceptable. Uh, 100% of the if, time. If you're a customer and I'm trying to sell you a product and you ask me a question I don't know, I'd much rather take the time to go find that answer for you than tell you, I don't know, go ask somebody else. Because ultimately that person says, I don't know. That just shows that they they have created a, a wall in their ability to communicate, 
to further understand the problem at hand. Yep. And so, and I didn't understand that as a young interviewee. I didn't understand that I needed to rephrase, I needed to clarify, and I needed to expand upon and say, you know what, I'm not 100% sure because I've not been in that situation before. But here's a similar situation, and this is how I dealt with it then. Correct. And that, too, can further that conversation. And despite the fact that maybe I didn't hit the nail perfectly on the head to their question, I still gave them something to chew on in that conversation. So, again, that expanding upon what you were saying, that not one single question defines it. Well, when you say, I don't know, and shut down the conversation, that does start to define the interview a little bit, right? Correct. And, <laughs> and, and with that, I'm going to point out that fortunately for me, that was something that I understood early on. Mm-hmm. And I can factually tell you that I have never interviewed for a job and not been offered the job. Mm. Never in my career. And I've interviewed for a lot of jobs. I've worked a lot of places. But anytime I physically sat down for an interview, I was hired, whether it had been immediately or a follow-up call. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because I did that type of thing. So interesting. And and ultimately, I cannot brag the same thing, right? And and as you showed, that's a very cool, you know, thing to say. And obviously that also has a lot to do with choosing the right positions. It does. That you're that you're interested in or qualified in or can have uh, and, and there have been interviews that I have done the interview and then before they had a chance to call me, I've called in and said, I'm not interested anymore. Mm-hmm. There have been those jobs. So I'm not saying that every single person I've ever met with would have hired me. Sure. But I have withdrawn from a few before they had an opportunity to make a decision. Interesting. So I actually, and, and, and it has everything to do with the corporation that I've already mentioned, the, kind of the corporate structure. And as, an, as a 22-year-old, I did not understand what was happening in this situation. And so I had been working for this big box retailer for about three months and opportunity for like a department lead came up. So, yeah. you know, nothing amazing. You know, we're not talking store manager, any of that kind of stuff. And somebody uh, approached me from within the store and said, hey, you know, I think you have some good qualifications. You should apply for this job and interview. Yep. And I was like. All right, that's kind of cool. I felt good. It was one of the middle management from another department. I thought, hey, this is this is what's up. So I went to the interview and I, I did the interview process and was not offered the job. And I thought, well, that's, I mean, a blow to my ego. Again, a humbling experience. I'd already been wildly humbled as a cart pusher. And, and here I am going, Man, you know, middle management actually approached me and yada, yada, yada. As I then kind of like, you know, mustered myself together, I went back to the the hiring manager and I said, what could I do better? Right. This was an opportunity. That's a great follow-up question. To say, what could I do better? And that's where. I'm going to tell you right now, though, there are some managers out there that are really bothered by uh, candidates coming back and asking those questions. I fully support it. Sure. And I will call candidates back and tell them that I'm not hiring them. And then when they ask me, well, why, why would you choose somebody else? I will have an explanation ready because I want them to ask that. Yeah. And that's, and that's I think, of these uh, existential, idyllic 
situations. That's, of course, what makes our culture kind of us uniquely fit to doing what we do. Yep. I think the gross majority of people, they don't want to be bothered by it. They just want to send you a letter, say you're not qualified, and they want to move on with their day. If they'd even do that. If they'd even do that, no doubt. Um, but I, I went back to him, and that's when he said, well, hey, here's, here's some questions you could have improved upon. One of them was, I, I came back with, I don't know what I would do in that situation. Yep. And that was where I largely learned that was and then as I explored it further with some other people that I you know that I highly respect you know mentor type characters they were like oh yeah always have an answer never not have an answer right correct so that was in that moment now what I was I think I was more bothered by is is that hiring manager they had some valid points or at least some points that I felt like I could learn from or grow or expand upon yeah I was probably most bothered by the fact, however, that I was then made aware, not from this hiring manager, but from somebody else, that basically at that time, that business had a policy where they had to interview three people from within the store, mm. no matter what position it and was While I agree for. with the concept of that type of policy often fails and i was simply th this middle management this you know this person these people who had approached me i was like yeah hey you gotta put your application that was a lie it was literally just because they needed to meet their numbers they literally just needed to meet their numbers i was the i was the young man i was vulnerable to yeah that would be cool i i think i could hang out in the lumber department and be part of that process and yep. blah 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 no it was Genuinely, because they needed three people from within the store yep. to apply an interview. Again, great, great concept in theory, but it often backfires and yeah. is, is literally just making it's, managers run through a process they don't actually care always, about. Has always left a poor taste in my mouth for you know culture purposes there. Well, we are running short on time, so I think we're going to transition right. over to our quote here. And this is my world now. So the quote of the week, if you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat, just get on. And that's Sher Cheryl Sandberg. Huh. Interesting. Now, what that means to me is obviously you want to work for XYZ company. That's your goal. That's your dream. You think you're qualified to be the manager of that company. You go in for an interview and they say, hey, we want to start you as, as a cart pusher, a cart pusher as a <laughs> yes. interviewer or as or as a um, cashier, mm -hmm. you know, take it. Mm -hmm. If that's the company that you see your future with, take it. Yes. Get on board and work your way up the ladder. Yes. And and I think that just in my own experience and it's, you know, I, I look at some of these organizations I've worked for, businesses I've worked with, and the idea is if you really want to be on that rocket ship or not, yes. right? And so um, you have to, to look at it and go, okay, am I prepared to, uh, again, use this this term, humble yourself and go, hey, you know what? I really thought I was coming in at, uh, at middle management or upper management or foreman or whatever it might be, mm -hmm. and they offered me a production line worker position. Then you get in and you work it, right? And you excel at that position and you you 
work your way through as best you can. My biggest example personally was I went to a call center that I knew was always hiring. Mm-hmm. I needed a job. Uh, the place I was at was not working out. I just needed a change of pace. I went in expecting to be put into a management position. They said, here, we're going to start you on our direct sales line. That's like the bottom of the barrel, entry-level position right, where right. you're just taking incoming calls. How are you doing? Thanks. Bye. Like, right, right. This is, this is it. And I'm like, you know what? I'll take it. Yes. I took it. I rode that rocket ship. Um, within 15 days, I was approached by management because I went in and I tried to excel in that position. Absolutely. You hustled, man. I hustled in that position. It was literally just taking phone calls about infomercials. Yes. And I hustled through that and somebody approached me and said, hey, we're opening a new line group. We want you to be the supervisor of it. Right, right. You showed the initiative. You showed that you had ambition in the process. Right. And- I was, I think, around the 30-day mark of being there that I was officially running a new line group. And again, same thing. Sure. I excelled in that position because that was what was there to Sure. Uh, I, and, you know, I think that's, that's so excellent. And uh, it, it'll go back to one of my, my number one piece of advice. If you are uh, an entrepreneur, if you're a person who wants to be in leader, leadership positions, um, at this point in time, when I look out across the, the horizon, my piece of advice is go work for somebody else until you can, you know, as much as inhumanly possible, tolerate it, yep. right? And just grin and bear it and glean whatever information, network, processes, get a paycheck while you're doing it that you can, right? And so get on that rocket ship. Even though you want to build your own rocket ship, get on the rocket ship that that is most close to what you want to be on and ride. And my, you know? my final point to that conversation is a lot of people will complain that, well, they're never going to hire me to do this or promote me to do this because they got XY person in mind. They mm-hmm. want this person to do that. Somebody has to do that position. Why can't it be you? Sure. Make them see you by doing excellence in your job. Yep. That's all it takes. Yep. Uh, Without a doubt. And when the time is right, if you so choose, move on and do your own thing. Correct. All right, folks, this was a good one. We've got lots of lots of opportunity and segue for the very near future. We will be doing some cool stuff as far as, you know, Talking about the people around you and how they help, you know, make you who you are. And uh, ultimately, eventually, we're going to have to get to, for those entrepreneurs, respecting boundaries. And this is a valuable one, uh, especially as we oftentimes are recording on Monday mornings and, you know, over the weekend, we are or are not getting some downtime or customers are or are not in our personal inboxes or personal emails, that kind of stuff. So uh, definitely some interesting stuff for the very near future. Make sure that you listen and be part of this conversation. You can always uh, text us directly at 440-855-2100. So 2100. Or you can email our producer, Jeff C. That's J-E-F-F. C at SFJ4X4.com. The American dream is not dead. We want to help you along the way. With over 40 years of combined leadership experience, we want to help you succeed. Share your stories, ask us questions, and believe in the American dream. 
Through heart and hustle, we will show you the path of success and hopefully have a little fun along the way. You can email us at jeffc at sfj4x4.com or text us at 440-855-2100. Until next time, lead with your heart and keep hustling.